Good morning. Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom. It's good to have you here as we worship God together today. If you are visiting with us, we encourage you to fill out this piece of cardstock in your bulletin, and we will follow up with you accordingly. It's also a good way to communicate prayer requests with us and let us know what's going on in your life. We would like to uh, be lifting those needs up in prayer, so please feel free to communicate those. You can do that online as well uh, through our portal or our website. You can reach us and send us an email, and we would encourage that as well. Just let us know, and we will be in prayer. Uh, if you are joining us online and you have little ones, uh, we have sent out by email to everyone in our portal um, this uh, basic lesson plan for today's message. So these follow along with the content that we are developing in our sermon series and encourage you to use that with your little ones, help them uh, understand God's grace a little more fully and in the same scriptures and themes that we're uh, studying here together. So, Happy New Year. All right. And good riddance to 2021. Woo. Um, several things going on around here. You, um, Our youth, youth group, and we will have a youth group planning meeting on January the 16th. We will do that by Zoom, and that will be open to uh, uh, parents of current fifth graders, whoa, and all of those uh, up through uh, seniors in high school. Hmm. All right, and we'll be, we have the dates for our Blueprint summer mission trip this year, so those will be uh, part of that and those plans accordingly. Um, we have a men's night coming up on the 28th, as well as uh, several other things <laughs> on the horizon. The excitement is mm, almost contagious, but we don't use that word. It's a bad word. Public gatherings. Don't say that. Just kidding. Um, all right. So let's see. Why don't we have all the important people in the room come down to the front at this time. If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time. Izzy, it's the last year you get to be in the children's chat. It, it won't mean you're no longer important. You'll still be important. You just don't have to come forward and sit down. How you doing, Pipes? doing all right? She seems happy. <laughs> all right. So have you ever heard of a woman in the Bible named Ruth? Yes and no. Okay. Do you know anything about Ruth? <coughs> you remember anything about her? So it's, it's kind of a long story, but I'm going to just tell you kind of the, the cool part, okay? She was a foreigner. She was not from Israel. And another woman named Naomi and her husband had moved to her country, and then their sons married, one of them married Ruth. 
then one by one, the men in the family passed away, and Ruth was left with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and that's all they had. And Naomi told her daughter-in-law, why don't you go back home to your parents and start over? You're young. You have a life in front of you. I'll go back to Israel. You go back to your home, and we'll call it, you know, even, I guess. I don't know. So she says to Ruth, hey, it's okay if you want to go back home, all right? Listen to what Ruth says. This is pretty cool. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. That means where you dwell, where you live, I will live. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. What do you think about that? Pretty strong, isn't it? And why do you think Ruth would have said something so strong when she's offered a chance to start over, to go back to her family, why do you think she would say to Naomi, nope, I'm going with you, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, I'm going to finish it out in your house. What do you think? Why would she say that? I have a theory, you want to hear it? I think she said that because she saw the hope of the Messiah in her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law had shown her love. How do you show other people the light of Jesus? Love, yes. And her mother-in-law had shown her a love that she had never seen before. And Ruth said to her mother-in-law, I want to be where that love is. I want to be in the family that understands who God is and how much he loves them and is able to show other people the love that God has shown to them. That's the way God wants all of us to live, so that we show other people the love that he has shown to us. Naomi did that, Ruth saw it, and she decided she wanted to be a part of that forever. So, what does God want you to take from the story of Ruth? That you, should, that you should love, yes. That his love defines who you are and that that love can flow through you to show other people who God is. Does that work? All right, let me pray for you guys. Dear God, thank you for these precious souls. Thank you for the gift that they are to our church and to our lives. And I pray that you would help each of us to better know your love as you have expressed it to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and to help us to better show your love to others that they might have a better understanding of who you are because we have loved them well. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and lead these children into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ, as they study more of your word in Hope for Kids today. Bless them, grow them, guide them. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Y'all have a great time. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, as we come before you here today, we pause and ask that you would fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit, that you would take from within us those things which we need to give to you in order to experience your forgiveness and your grace and your love more fully. And so, Lord, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and our disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses or recovering from medical procedures. And we pray that you would pour out your healing mercies upon them. Uh, we pray especially for Linda Harris this morning as she recovers from pneumonia, and we just pray your healing mercies over her. Lord, we lift up our country and its leaders at every level of government elected and appointed and we pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray that you would watch over and protect them. We lift up especially those who are in harm's way, and we ask that you would watch over them and bring them home safely. We lift before you those who are separated from their families due to their service to our country, and we just pray that you would be uh, present in their hearts and in the hearts of their loved ones at home awaiting their return. And Lord, we lift up those men and women who have returned home from their service to our country, changed as a result of having met you. I'm sorry, as, as the result of their sacrifices that they have made for this country. And so, Father, we pray that you would use us, your church, to pour out your grace and your healing mercies upon them, mind, body, and soul. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. And we just pray that your word would continue to go forth through your people and that it would not return to you empty. We lift up especially those church plants that we are part of through our denomination here in Texas, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we just pray that you would bless those young works and grow them according to your will. And Lord, we pray you would be with us here now and that your word would inhabit our hearts and minds and shape and change who we are that we might more and more become the men and women of God that you've created us to be. We pray these things through the holy and precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, <clears throat> we are in the Christmas season of the church calendar. That's the 12 days after Christmas. And... This is the conclusion of our Advent Christmas sermon series today. We've been looking at uh, the women in the lineage of the Messiah. Uh, those women are sometimes named in the, in the genealogies in Matthew and Luke, and sometimes those women are 
implied in those genealogies. So we have um, taken a look at Eve and the ways in which God moved through her loss and grief to bring about hope and the restoration of a promise. We looked at Sarah in much the same way, how God miraculously showed up in her life to restore the hope of the promise of the Messiah through her. Uh, We looked at Rahab, we looked at Mary on Christmas Eve, we looked at Rahab, and now this week we're going to look at a woman named Ruth. And Ruth, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story. It is an entire book in the Old Testament um, and quite a miraculous thing um, just that this book is in the Bible. And you'll see some of the reasons why it is uh, as we get into the story I, I think about the women in my life, the women who have shaped me and loved me and shown to me what, what grace looks like, and they all reflect the women in this story in some way or another. Their faith, their level of commitment and perseverance and faithfulness you will see all of these traits exhibited in the women of this story uh, as we get into this passage today. I, I can't read, well I could, but I'm not going to read the entire book of Ruth to you, um, but we're going to spend a, a considerable amount of time in chapter one of the book of Ruth, and then we'll sort of jump uh, to the conclusion of the book, and I'll fill you in on a few of the uh, intervening details uh, between those two segments. But... Um, What I hope that you see in this passage is the impact that a woman of faith can make, not just on the life of another person, but on the history of redemption. That these expressions of of faith and faithfulness are part of the way in which God works to bring about his promises, to fulfill his word, to sustain his people. And so um, the, the, I'm going to just start reading in chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through verse 18. I encourage you to follow along with me. Uh, before I do that, I'm going to define a name for you. Um, and uh, it's in verse 2. It's Naomi's husband, Eli Melech, which means God is king. And the reason... That, that he is named this, it's kind of cool, but every tribe around Israel at this time had a chief or a king. And Israel was the exception. God had told them, no king for you, I will be your king. And so this is a time period in between the conquest of the land under Joshua and then the coming of the kingship to Israel under Saul. And in this intervening time period, the story of Ruth occurs. And her father-in-law, Eli Melech, um, even ha- his name even tells you what period of time this story occurs in, the time in which God was king. There was no human king. And so 
just so you understand the meaning of that as we get into the reading, I thought it was kind of a cool little uh, historical piece that would add some context. So there you go. And now I will begin reading from Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Machlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Chilion died, so that the, women, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there... I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So part of what you have just uh, witnessed is a very ancient um, Near Eastern form of negotiation. Uh, it, it would go like this. Um, you're in my home or my tent, and you like the cushion that you're sitting on, and you compliment me. You say, I love this cushion. 
I would therefore have to say to you, well, it is yours. Take the cushion. Have the cushion. Take the cushion to your tent, right? And you would then be obligated to say, no, no, no. I have cushions. I don't need this cushion. I just like your cushion. And then I would be obligated to say, no, no, I insist that this cushion is now in your tent. This is your cushion. I in, I, I, and you would have to then say, no, 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 I couldn't possibly take your cushion, right? And then the third time that I offer, that's when you have to make a decision. So the first two back and forths are pretty much a given. You're not going to take the cushion. But if we get to the third offer, and I offer it a third time, now you have a decision to make. That is, do I want the cushion or do I not want the cushion? Because if you want the cushion on the third offer, you are actually allowed to say, sure, I'll take the cushion. Or you can refuse it one, third, one final time and the offer will not be made again. Interestingly, in this story, there's the first offer and both women decline and then there's the second offer and Ruth's sisters you know sister-in-law actually accepts on the second offer am I correct did I read that right okay so that tells you a lot that she was not willing to wait to see if there would be a third offer she's like two offers that's enough I'm out. And the reason that she, that she pulls the ripcord here is very simple. To return to Israel with their mother-in-law would mean almost certain starvation. They're already uh, where they are because of a famine. Food is scarce. There's not a lot of opportunity in the ancient Near East for widowed women, especially when you triple down on that. And they're now going to go back to Israel and throw themselves on the mercy of those who've just come out of a famine. This is not a, a great prospect for a future, and all three of these women recognize that. And Naomi, in her boldness, actually is doing something extremely kind. These younger women are obligated under a covenant agreement that they made to their husbands to remain in her household and to care for her and to, they're basically stuck. And Naomi gives them, offers them freedom. What happens next is sort of the, the way in which God works through this story to bring about redemption. He, the, the, the two women, Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, return home to Israel, and they are without anything. They basically throw themselves at the mercy of uh, an Israelite who is in uh, Naomi's family, and he 
does the right thing. He steps up. He assumes responsibility for these women who are his relatives. And he didn't have to. He actually could have passed the buck to another relative. That's in the story. But he actually stands up, agrees to be what the Bible calls their kinsman redeemer. And you will see this word used in a moment. And so Boaz even gets to the point where he marries Ruth. So here's what's amazing in this whole thing is the number of people in this story who are doing things that they don't have to do, that they are not obligated to do. That is, Naomi releasing her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth going with her mother-in-law, Ruth agreeing to pursue the opportunity to be part of Boaz's family, Ruth marrying Boaz, Boaz agreeing to redeem these women from their situation and agreeing to marry Ruth. And so by the time we get to chapter 4, Boaz and Ruth are married. Uh, There's a beautiful story. I really encourage you this week, just in your own quiet time, get out the book of Ruth, read through the whole thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And it doesn't need a lot of explanation. You don't need all the historical background to really find richness and grace in this story. So I'm going to read from chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, and then I'm going to jump to verse 17 just for the sake of time and space. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception And she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. And then verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of of Jesse, the father of David. So just to be clear, this foreign woman who has nothing and no future and no hope becomes the grandmother of King David. How on earth is that possible? that the grandmother of a Jewish king, of the Jewish king, if you will, is a foreigner. And someone who, yeah, was on her second chance in life. How on earth is this possible? Here's, here's my theory. This is, not in, this is not in your Bible. This is just Pastor Tom theoretical. Just take it, leave it, ignore it. I don't care. I think the reason this story is in the Bible, there's, there's two reasons. God wanted it there. Let's just be clear about that. The second is King David, who's the second greatest contributor to the Old Testament at this time in history, at the time of his life, first Moses, then David, um, he, he, he knew the story. 
And he knew that this story depicted God's grace in an amazing and incredible way. And David would have been the one who ensured that this story was brought into the canon of Scripture. He would have been the one who uh, probably brought it into its current form. However it came to him was probably very similar to this. But I want you to think about how many times as a child he would have heard this story from Ruth herself, from his grandmother, sitting around a campfire um, as she was you know, making a meal, telling him the story of his ancestry, of his faith, of a God who is gracious and miraculously kind. And so this story becomes part of the fabric of Israel, not because some man wins a battle, but because God's faithfulness is represented through these women and the way they relate to each other and to their God in powerful ways. So then I'll just read to you uh, quickly from Matthew chapter 1. Uh, this verse has been read throughout this series. I'm going to read verse 1 and then verses 5 and 6. This is the, this is the way the gospel of Matthew begins. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then in verse 5, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And so you see the genealogy confirmed here in the New Testament. Have you ever had to hold on to something you couldn't see? I just want to take you to that tent in Moab and these three women contemplating their future. They have nothing. They have no food. They have no means. They have no leverage. They have nothing. And Naomi does something very bold. She looks at her situation and she says, I don't need to burden these two young women with my problem. And I did, I did if you noticed in the reading, how she says, like, it's, it's, you shouldn't have to pay for the fact that God turned on me. Did you read that? Did you see that basic sentiment? And Naomi basically gives freedom to people that she could have held under obligation. She, in her heart, she knew something. She saw something. She was clinging to something she couldn't actually see. It was not just hope, but it was the hope of Israel, the hope of a God who is there of a God who shows up, of a God who listens, of a God who takes care of the desperate soul. And Naomi 
leads us in this story to be a people who cling to their Redeemer. To this idea that God is not finished with us, that He is up to something, that He cares. We are to cling to Him in times of loss. These women have lost everything in the human sense. And here they are, alone and without. What do they do? Like Naomi, we must be those who look beyond the devastation that is in front of us. And whatever that is for you or for me, it's not the end. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever's going on in your life or in your family, it's not the end. We must be those who look up, who look beyond. It's real. The pain is real. The suffering is real. The agony is real. But there is much more beyond it. And so we are to be those who look beyond the devastation. And we are to be those, Naomi teaches us, who look back to Bethlehem. It is not a coincidence that this story leads back to Bethlehem. That this woman is brought with her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem. That she will, in Bethlehem, become the ancestor of the Messiah, the grandmother of the king. These are no accidental details. This is a purposeful God revealing himself through these events. We are to cling to our God in times of loss, and we are to cling to those who exhibit his grace. So, what do you do when you feel like your world has collapsed? When you feel as though you're, you're losing everything? or at least everything that's important. And you see in this story, Ruth is offered her freedom, the opportunity to start over. Now, this isn't a great offer in, a, in one sense. The, she's in a bad position. She's been married for 10 years, or it's been 10 years since her marriage, and Will she have a future? It's hard to say. And if she does, what will it be? But she's given the opportunity to go home to her parents and start over. She doesn't choose that. And we see in her choice something very real, something very strong, something very true that she is drawn toward someone who has shown to her true kindness. Think about it. She grew up in Moab, in a different tribe, 
and into Moab comes this Jewish family from Israel just because they're starving and they're trying to make a new life for themselves. And she winds up marrying one of their sons, which means she's brought into his parents' tent or domicile or whatever, and she spends her next several years there. She sees something that she's never seen before. She sees it in the heart of Naomi. She sees kindness and she sees grace. She is clinging to the person who has shown her kindness and she is clinging to the person who is giving her true freedom. This is effectively what Ruth is saying. I had some gods as a girl. They were in my village. They were in my tent. We had some kind of relationship with them. It would be defined by fear, shame, fear, shame. And we were controlled by those gods by fear and shame. And we would make offerings to those gods out of fear that they would become unhappy with us. And those gods controlled us. And she looks at Naomi and she sees something very different. She sees a God who is loving, who is kind, and who offers freedom from a relationship that is driven by fear and shame. To be clear, Naomi could have told these young women, you must come with me or else. You are under a contract to stay with me, so stick it out. But Naomi, because she is a woman of the one true God, who is the God of kindness and the God of freedom, she shows kindness and gives freedom to these two young women. And one of them says, thank you. Gives her a kiss. They weep. She leaves. Ruth says, whatever that is, I'm not letting that out of my life. I've never seen kindness and freedom from a God and through another person because of their God. And so she stays with Naomi. We are to be those who cling to our Redeemer, who cling to him in times of loss, and we are to cling to those who exhibit his grace. As we cling to our Redeemer, we are to claim our place in God's plan. This is essentially the, the brave act that this story hinges upon is Ruth's decision to stay with Naomi, to claim her place in Naomi's family, which is a, uh, it's a nothing at the time she claims it. And then God takes that act of faith and courage and folds it forward into her redemption. So, 
Ruth is laying claim, and you hear this in her words in chapter 1, to that which is more important than life. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. We are to lay claim to that which is more important than life by having a faith that is rooted in love. This is what love does. It sets people free. And in that freedom, Ruth exercised, exhibited love in her own way. She looked past her circumstances and said, that is what I want. I am laying claim to what that woman has shown to me, which is kindness and grace and love and freedom. We are to exhibit a faith that is rooted in love and step into a family that is rooted in eternity. Ruth had no idea that as she made this decision to stick with the person who had shown her this love, that she would then be the grandmother not only to the Jewish king, but the ancestor of the Messiah. How do I say this? You are not just welcome here. You belong here. You are a part of God's redemptive plan to bring into his family all kinds of people. Broken, hurting, redeemed. And so you have a place that is rooted in love and, in, and is connected and rooted in eternity. You can claim that which is more important than life, and you can claim a new identity. You have a redeemer. And this concept shows up in the story of Ruth in two ways. This, this relative of Naomi's Boaz, who agrees to take these women into his circle of responsibility, is called, the term in the Bible or in this, this time period, he was called a kinsman redeemer, a relative who then takes responsibility for his kin. But this is all folding forward in redemptive history to point to some greater redeemer to the fact that we are the family of the redeemed, that anyone can be included in God's family, and that we have a God whose heart is for redemption. He is always out seeking to save the lost. And so here we are, claiming our new identity that we are loved, we are a people who have a redeemer. 
and we are those who worship the one true God. So did you notice at the end of the book of Ruth, the baby is given a name by the women of the village? His name, his name, it's, it's a, so Hebrew always works this way. It's, 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 the words are very concrete, and then they're loaded with extra meaning. So the, the word itself just means servant, a, ma- a male servant, one who serves. But in, in, in Israel, that was also a title of honor that was given to those who worshipped, who served and worshipped the one true God. So that baby is, is named one who worships the one true God, a worshiper of Yahweh. Ruth is taken from a foreign place where she has no claim to the Redeemer (laughs) and brought by the hand of God not just into the people of Israel, the the redeemed of God, but into the very family of redemption. It is literally through her womb that the the genetic redemptive line will be established to the cross. Wow. And this is not just who Ruth is. This is who we are. This woman is a window into the heart of God. That he loves us that he will go all the way to the cross to bring us forgiveness, to show us his kindness, and to grant to us eternal freedom. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are humbled by your word. We are amazed at how you work, at the truth that you bear out in our lives, that we are loved, we are redeemed, we are free, we are to live in grace under the banner of the eternal love you have shown to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand that that is our freedom. That is what redefines who we are and sets us free to be the men and women of God that you have created us to become. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might more faithfully reflect who you are to those around us, that we might show your kindness and your love, your grace to others, and by so doing, give them the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. It is in your Son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.